This is the Wellness Puzzle Podcast with Andrew Jobling, author, speaker, educator, entrepreneur, and AFL player. Join Andrew as he continues his lifelong journey as a student of human behavior. This podcast will help you live your passion, explore your potential, step into your power, and embrace your possibilities. Embrace your possibilities. possibilities. Hello there, this is Andrew Jobling, and welcome to the Wellness Puzzle Podcast for another week. And I have just finished a remarkable conversation with Kate Seselja, an incredibly inspiring lady who has been on a journey of gambling addiction to the point of almost taking her life. Now she's working very, very hard and very passionately to advocate against the whole gambling industry to help people that are dealing with the shame of gambling addiction and just trying to save lives and change lives. And she's doing a remarkable job. It's a bit of a heart-wrenching story, trust me, but it's a powerful and inspiring one. So please sit back, relax, and enjoy my conversation with Kate Seselja. Hello, Kate. How are you? I'm well. Thanks for having me, Andrew. You're welcome. We were just chatting about your surname, and I'm going to try this and see if I get it right. Kate Shishelia. Yes. That's, no one can see the look on your face because this is audio only, but she cringed <laughs> a little bit as I said that. We'll say, yeah. give me the proper Croatian pronunciation. I am not Croatian, so I, even myself, fear about stuffing it up. But my in-laws say Shishelia. Ah, oh, Shishelia. 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 Okay. <laughs> So we might go with Cecilia. Yes. <laughs> anyway, it's awesome to have you, Kate. Thank you so much for spending some time. I think we just start with a little bit of our background, how we met, because so much has happened. Really, it's just been a few months, hasn't it, really, if you think about it, since yeah. we first connected on LinkedIn mm-hmm. and we first chatted. And then I started to find out a bit more about who you are and what you've been through and what you're doing. And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh. And then you came to Bali. Mm-hmm for a, a week of writing and inspiration and now you're in the process of getting your book out there and advocating against the horrendous gambling industry right now that's devastating lives in Australia certainly and all around the world and you're working your brains out and inspiring incredible what you're doing it's been a journey that's for sure and i'm so grateful for how we have met and what we've been able to achieve since we have met. And this really, it's one of the things I say to people when I give presentations, in nowhere in my life did I imagine that at 44 I would be doing speaking gigs and being a full-time gambling reform advocate. But as an 18-year-old, In no way, shape or form did I ever imagine that sitting behind a poker machine could lead to a devastating impacts for the next 15 years of my life. So whilst I never imagined this, I now can't imagine not fighting for other people who are still trapped or have never, ever even considered gambling harm being a part of their life and therefore vulnerable by default. Yeah. And it's so insidious, isn't it? The whole gambling industry and the subtlety of it, how there's just little messages and innuendo and even those little online games that you play or on your phone and how they one click will take you into something that's taking your money and you don't even know it. 
Yeah. It, it can happen so subtly and so simply and so easily. And before you know it, you're caught up in this addiction, which is, and we won't get right deep into your story right now, but we will. It is a devastating industry. It really is. And you have said this to me that there's nothing good about the gambling industry. The whole thing is based on greed mm. and the people that are running it and controlling it know that it's devastating lives and they don't care. Absolutely. Tell me if I'm saying that wrong. It is a predatory industry and there's no if, buts or maybes. It is 100% about exploiting human vulnerabilities for profit and they do it knowingly and the people who are impacted never, ever intend for that to be part of their lives. So it is 100% devastation from a personal perspective and that has ripple effects outwards into the community. So we now talk about gambling harm as a continuum, not as something an individual experiences. It's about how is gambling harm impacting our whole community and what do we need to do to address it? Yeah. And I really think we can sit here and bag out the gambling industry and we will because (laughs) it's a shocking industry. But also as human beings, we need to take 100% responsibility for the choices that we make. But before you can make the right choices, you need to get all the information. Absolutely. And so I guess what you're trying to do is you're fighting against the gambling industry for sure, but you're also trying to give people the right information so that they can start to make choices that are more sensible choices around where they choose to spend money or gamble or not gamble or whatever they choose to do. Yeah, I'm in no way, shape or form shaming people for their choices and they like gambling, that's their choice. What my aim is to give people knowledge so that they can make empowered decisions rather than be a conditioned culture to just accept that gambling is part of our culture without questioning it. Yeah. Because that's how this has become such a behemoth and why we see the level of gambling harm be so widespread because we were never actually meant to have this much access to gambling products and they're just everywhere. Well, you can't pick up your phone and scroll without having some kind of pop-up or notification about something that potentially is going to lead you to gambling and the ads on television. And as we speak, we're coming into spring carnival time in Australia, which is a beautifully gala disguised way for people to lose money. It's almost that acceptable way. It's that acceptable addiction almost, isn't it? Well, it has been glorified and touted as an event that is glittered with pretty dresses and celebrities and champagne. Fascinators. Fascinators. It's all about distracting away from what is really going on and the fact that how people walk into Spring Carnival and how they exit Spring Carnival are two very different beasts. That is for sure. Yes. And so it's when I had a look at how I was first exposed to Melbourne Cup as a kindergarten student, you know, we all got handed a sweep and we watched this race and some kids won, some kids didn't. I had no idea that we were getting a free sample of gambling at that point in my life. And it was luckily for me, having not been attracted to sports gambling, that route 
didn't have that impact other than every year at Melbourne Cup, I felt like if I didn't put a bet on, I was missing out on something. Yep. Because of that pathway that had been carefully crafted since childhood. So it took intention to break that association and realise that I didn't want to feel like I'm missing out on something and realise that that was so intentional from an industry standpoint to market gambling to children as entertainment and, you know, how we've accepted it as a nation, that association without realising that it's no different from Winfield coming to our school and handing each kid a cigarette. You know, here's a free sample. Go home, you figure it out on your own, whether it's good, bad or not. Kate, one of the things that inspires me so much about you is your courage because this is not necessarily a popular conversation and you and I having this conversation and putting this podcast out is going to ruffle feathers. People are going to disagree violently with what we're talking about. You're going up against an industry which is, uh, I don't know, what's the scope of the gambling industry in Australia? Is it a billion-dollar industry? It's the equivalent to the NRA in America. Okay, so it's massive. And these people aren't just going to lie down and go, okay, Kate, you're right. We're going to stop all activity in the gambling space. It's not going to happen. No. So you're a hero of mine, Kate. You really are because you're just doing something that you feel so strongly about even though you know there's going to be massive resistance to the changes you're advocating for. And I think it's awesome. I'm so, so proud of you and so on your side. And that's why we're having this conversation. That's why I'm helping you write a book. That's why we're doing all the stuff that we're doing. Before we go to our first break, Kate, you've done a TED Talk, you're writing a book, and you've got a website called The Hope Project. Tell us a bit about The Hope Project and what you're doing with that. Basically, I give presentations in schools, workplaces, universities, trying to help people understand the impact of gambling in our culture and provide information to people that they don't currently have in order to make an informed choice around gambling. And that's been through intention that because it's been viewed as entertainment rather than a harmful product, us as consumers were not protected from normal regulations and health concerns that are associated. So this has been such a huge task of being able to communicate with people and hear their own stories. There isn't a room I go into where people sit there blank-faced and go, oh, wow, we've never heard of anyone in our family being harmed by gambling. Every single person in Australia has somebody that they know who's been impacted by gambling harm. It's just nobody's been talking about it. Yeah, and it's time. It really is time now to talk about it. It's really time to do something about it because it's growing at a rapid rate and obviously we need to do something about it. We're the number one gambling nation in the world and, you know, if that isn't the biggest red flag, you know, we as our tiny nation of 27 million people, lose $26 billion in gambling each year. Wow, that's massive. Okay, Aussies, listen very carefully. We need to pay attention to this conversation between Kate and I. And if it's not you, you know someone who may be struggling with gambling and it may be at a very low level. They may not think they're addicted. 
but it's only one small step away from a pretty devastating addiction. So, Kate, let's have a quick break and we'll come back and we want to talk a bit about your experience and what happened to you when you fell prey to the gambling industry and that addiction. So we'll be back after a short break. Hi there. My name's Andrew Jobling. Uh, Hey, Wally. Cut it out, mate. G'day. My name's Andrew Jobling. Sorry, Jobling. I'll see you saying something. Adam Wallace, you are so disruptive. Yes, I am. And speaking of disruptive, some people feel like they're stuck in a box. They feel like they're kind of going, they're treading water, not going anywhere. And we need to disrupt things. We need to shake things up a little bit. So we thought we might have a little event. I think that's a great idea because I also think people want to live their best life and they want to have abundance and joy and meaning in their life, but maybe they don't know how to do it. Exactly. So sometimes we need just little guide, little things to set you in motion. And we thought we'd be the ones to help do that. So if you're interested in being disruptive, join us in Melbourne, a live event on the 21st of October. You can reach out to me if you want more information and you can be as disruptive as this As Adam Wallace. Yeah, what? Sorry. Now, Kate, you've got a ridiculous number of children, haven't you? You've got like 27 kids or something like that? Six. Six. Okay, not quite 27. I'm prone to exaggerate just a little bit. Six kids ranging from? Nearly 23 to 11. Wow. So it's a busy household. It is just amazing human beings. I'm very, very proud of them. Yeah. Good on you. So, Kate, I look at you and I see someone so together, so with it, mother of six, so focused and disciplined and courageous and inspired. What was it that led you down that gambling path? It's addiction by design. It's that simple. You don't have to have some horrific trauma that drives you into addiction. I was just your average 18-year-old girl and going to social venues with my friends, with my boyfriend at the time, actually, and he wanted to play the pokies. I sat down next to him, put $20 in, won a couple of hundreds and thought, wow, that was easy. You won a couple of hundred? Wow. And that pathway in your brain that gets crafted the pleasure center was whacked or smack bang that gave you a lot of serotonin is it is that the one dopamine dopamine yep yeah. and you know i think you also experience serotonin the feel good hormones but it was also what happened after that so the guy comes over with a clipboard and the cash in his hand and hands it to me and says you're really good at this wow just making me feel like I'm something special. And what I help people understand is it's something that's being addressed at the moment is that VIP experience, that exploiting of human connection and making you feel better. That's why venues are, they spend money on the fixtures and fittings so that it feels like a nice place to be. It feels like you're getting this VIP treatment, but they're putting out there very clearly that all they care about, their primary focus is extracting money from you. Yep. And gambling products in Australia are predominantly housed in clubs. So these clubs were set up in the community to be about soccer or be about a religion or be about whatever the case may be. And slowly but surely, as the rivers of gold started coming in, 
those clubs moved further and further away from that core purpose of why they were built and established in the first place and became casinos. And they derive between 70 and 80% of their whole income from gambling. Wow. So in other countries, a building that makes 80% of their money from gambling is called a casino (laughs) and we call them community clubs. And that illusion of it being a community benefit has been sold through schemes like club grants. You know, this is where they give novelty checks out to a number of well-deserved sports clubs or, you know, knitting clubs or, you know, people doing good in the community. And they hand out this free money that's come from harming their patrons. Yep. It's a totally flawed business model of exploiting their own members and it's been happening in Australia for decades. And this is something that, you know, I just accepted as normal. I grew up in New South Wales, in Sydney, and that, unbeknownst to me, is the pokey capital of the world. We have the highest density of poker machines in New South Wales than any other place on the planet. And so everywhere I went as an 18-year-old, once I'd honed in on, wow, that felt good, I want to do that, then you start noticing them everywhere. Like and you, you were told up. that you were good at it too, which yes. is a hilarious, isn't it? Like putting money in a slot and pressing a button, you're good at it. You're and we believe it, don't we? Yeah. You're so lucky and you believe it. And when you have a series of wins, that's where I call it the hijacking of hope comes into play. So all your hopes and dreams that you once had for your life and your future get totally hijacked by, do you remember when you put $20 in and won 5000 That can happen again. You know, that it's the next press, it's the next press, it's the next press. And all of these features, all the science that has gone into crafting these machines built to addict is all exposed in the incredible documentary, Kaching. And so that's the first port of call that I always send people to, to start unraveling the grip of shame that almost suffocated me to death. And it has taken the lives of so many Australians that if you don't address the grip of shame, it keeps haunting you. It keeps having power over you and helping people to liberate themselves from that place is through understanding the industry, how it has been totally facilitated by governments for decades instead of consumer protections being in place. It's just been, here you are, industry, what do you need? How can we serve you? What rules do you want to craft for yourself? It's all been about them protecting their own industry and their profits instead of protecting Australians. Yeah. So tell us then, as an 18-year-old, this then obviously became, I would imagine, a weekly kind of thing. Every weekend, it's, okay, where are we going to win our money this week? Well, it isn't even so specific like that. Like I would still go out with my friends, but because they were there, as soon as you can hear them 
and see them, you know, it's enough to just draw you back and back and back. So I would go out, think, I'll just put in $50 and that would go and it goes very quickly because in New South Wales and Canberra where I live now, there's $10 maximum bets. So that's $10 every three seconds, which is $200 in a minute and $6,000 in a half an hour. Wow. So these aren't just harmless fun. They're built to extract money very quickly. Yep. And when you were saying before, if you know somebody who's maybe experiencing a little bit of harm, it doesn't take much because Australians are experiencing financial distress at the moment, post-COVID, it can be the difference of a few hundred dollars that can tip somebody into a place of despair, desperation. And what are they going to cling to? A memory of remember when you won, that can happen again. That lie that keeps drawing you back in to lose more and more. So at what point was it for you when you realized you had a problem? I think I was going through my whole pay, which at the time was $1,500 a month. I was a receptionist at an accounting firm. I could go through that in an hour on payday. And I would then be just sitting there going, okay, so how am I going to live the next month? And so very early I started borrowing money off my siblings or my mum and I'd it's like, I'll pay you back next payday and da, da, da. And looking back now, had I been out on my own, which, you know, a lot of 18-year-olds are, I could have been facing homelessness very, very quickly. But because I still had a roof over my head, my mum was still cooking dinners, I justified it as my own expendable income and thought, oh, I'll deal with it next month. It'll be fine. I could tell that it was out of control very, very quickly. Could you stop it? No. (laughs) The only thing that paused it at that stage was I met my husband and he just came, you know, into my life very, very quickly. I changed my whole social scene. I moved to Canberra, thought I've left that behind we got married and within a year and thought all of that gambling was in my past. And we had our first child. One of the mother's groups that I was going to met at a club in Canberra. And as soon as I heard oh, the screams, no. we were having like a stressful period. We had money in the bank to build a house. We were expecting our second child, living with our in-laws, running our own business, all of this at 23, mind you. And within a month, I went through $30,000 of the money that was in the account to build the house. And that was the first time I wanted to take my life. And I couldn't stop. Did your husband know about it at the time? That's when he found out about it for the first time. And then it just kept reappearing over the next decade of our marriage at, you know, stressful times or it was just 
because I didn't understand how I was being mentally manipulated by the machines, because I didn't understand the impact of the shame that I'd been carrying all of that time. You know, it was the guilt that kept driving me back. Do you remember how much you've lost? Like you could. Yeah, now you've got to recoup, you've got to recoup, you've got to recoup. The only way I can do it is go and have a big win. Yeah. Yeah. So every time a bill would arrive, I would get this dread come over me. Like, how am I going to pay this? Uh, And your brain starts going. And I described it when I eventually beat it as my brain finally felt like I was on a holiday, like it wasn't going a million miles an hour trying to figure out how to just keep surviving. Like I was in a traumatised state for over a decade and it was hell. It was just hell. I hated who I was. I felt like I'd made every mistake imaginable and that I didn't deserve to be here anymore and I was just totally disconnected from the truth of who I was. I was totally drowning in shame and the thing that has just given me so much purpose in my life is helping other people understand that that shame was never theirs to bear. That shame should have always been on the intentional perpetrators of harm that knew exactly what they were doing to human beings and did it anyway. Yeah. Kate, I need a drink of water. Thank you so much for sharing what you have. We're going to have a break. And I know there's a little bit more of your story to tell, but then I want to start talking about the good news and the great things we're doing and the positive impact you're now having on the world. But let's have another short break. Australians are the biggest losers in the world. We lose $25 billion a year in gambling harm. If your workplace school, university, community group would like to understand more about how to address gambling harm in our culture, please reach out to me at kate at thehopeprojectnow.com. I look forward to facilitating this learning and a community that's focused on well-being instead of being exploited for profit. As soon as I stopped recording, then Kate apologised and I said, don't apologise, Kate. This is a story that needs to be told because this is the Wellness Puzzle Podcast and I'm Mr. Positive and happy, happy, joy, joy. But sometimes people just need to know the truth and they need to understand the choices they're making and potentially where it's leading them. So this story is so important. You know, it's not a sad story because I look at you now, I look at what you're doing. And even though you lost a significant amount of money, and we'll talk about that in a second, even though you were suicidal and I know you attempted your life, but there was a reason why you didn't take your life. And there's a reason why you're still here. And there's a reason why you and I are having this conversation. And there's a reason why the people listening to this conversation are going to hopefully create a ripple effect that we can start to create change in this space. So everything you're saying is so essential. And I'm so grateful for your openness and your vulnerability. So thank you. It's a lot, I know. But when I was experiencing it, I was so alone. I never knew anybody else who struggled with gambling at that point in time. The funny story is that so many people around me were struggling with gambling, but none of us. You're not going to admit it. Why you never admit that? How shameful and embarrassing is that to admit it? Exactly. 
and you can't smell it on a person, you can't see it. And so often I say to people, sadly, in this country, you don't find out if somebody's experiencing gambling harm until A, all the money is gone, or B, the person is dead. They're the two choices that are happening right now in Australia. And it is just devastated families, broken up marriages, you know, intergenerational poverty, domestic violence, crime. The number of women in prison, and I'm talking elderly women, you would be mind blown. I've talked to several judges who've said our dockets are full of people who are here because they've committed crimes because of gambling that had never previously had a parking ticket. Now finding themselves committing crimes to service either the debt that they're in or to keep facilitating the gambling because it's that controlling. Like if you've never experienced it and there'll be people here listening that are like, you're an idiot, just stop, whatever, you know, no one makes you do it. There's so many comments like that that are just unhelpful. They are unhelpful, but the other thing is every single one of us has an addiction of some kind. And so how dare anyone say that? Because at the same time, they're saying, well, why don't you just stop it? Well, then why don't you just stop smoking? Or why don't you just stop biting your nails? Or why don't you just stop with negative self-talk or stop all the other addictive behaviors you've got? That's part of being a human being is that's this cycle of addiction happens because it's that dopamine hit that we want. And if something gives us to it, we want to go back and get it again. And the problem with addiction is that each time we go back for that hit, there's a lessening effect of that hit. Therefore, you need to do more to get the same dopamine hit you've got to actually do it bigger to get the same pleasure response so addiction is in anything we're talking about addiction here and gambling is the addiction that you've struggled with well let me tell you i've struggled with addiction as well and it's devastated my life as well maybe not financially but certainly relationally some of my addictions have devastated my life i mean i've been married three times So there's a cost to every single addiction. So anyone that points a finger and says, just stop it, they don't understand or they haven't really put the mirror up against and looked at themselves and said, hey, well, maybe I've got an addiction as well. And what you're saying is that the jail's full of these women and simply because they're too shameful to ask for help. Yeah. It creates this, and this is the diabolical part of it, is the industry knew what they were doing and they knew that the level of harm was growing to a point where they were going to receive pushback. So they got ahead of it and created the term problem gambler. And that's weaponizing shame from let's just point the blame on the individual, make sure that everybody hates that person and nobody's looking at what we're doing over here. Now, one case that made the news was a man who got VIP'd all the way to the night he took his life and his family had been trying to get him banned from that club. And they said, no, there's no third-party self-exclusions. So unless the person does it, you can't stop them. They were giving him all kinds of incentives. They were going out, buying his cigarettes and giving them to him, even though smoking and gambling were supposed to have been separated Years ago, when the laws 
changed that you could no longer smoke in a venue. What did gambling companies do? Build outdoor areas, heat them, cool them, and put gambling products out there so that people could still keep smoking. Well, it's facilitate two addictions at the same time. Exactly. And drinking. So person can be inebriated, smoking and gambling, all perfectly fine. Don't look at us. We're not doing anything wrong. It's the problem gambler. I've been instrumental in changing that language here in Canberra. And as I said, we've now taken a public health approach to it and we refer to it properly as gambling harm that is any negative consequence that is derived from gambling from an individual, a family and a community level. So it's looking at the whole spectrum and not at all shaming the individual. So there's been a massive shift in the last decade, specifically in the last year, towards gambling reform. And that was because for the first time, a senior politician finally admitted that they knew all along that gambling harm was happening and that it's devastating communities. And he used it as a Hail Mary to try and get himself re-elected. It didn't work. But what that narrative that he finally brought to the attention of the public is that gambling harm is so prevalent in Australia and it can no longer be ignored and that we do have to focus on reforms and correcting the status quo. Yeah, it's going to be a long battle. It's going to take time, but one person at a time. Yeah. So I don't want to talk too much more about your story. I know you end up losing a lot of money. Your husband must be a saint. He supported you through this whole journey. And I'm yeah. sure there was some challenging times in your marriage. Yeah. But to have someone like that by your side and stick with you through that, I think, must have helped you enormously. I know you got to a point where you thought life's not worth living. What was it that saved you? Yeah, the roller coaster of I'm fine and not fine was just so present for over a decade. And in January 2012, I had just got some money from the bank, put it in and thought, I can't keep doing this anymore. I'm sick of this roller coaster. I can't. And at that point, there wasn't even the term gambling harm. It was just, I am the problem. And so I was left with, then I just need to not be here. And so I'm sitting there, my phone's ringing a hundred times, everyone's trying to find me. And the only reason I'm still sitting here talking to you today is I was pregnant with our sixth child, Zoe, and I couldn't figure out how to take my life and not hers. And that I am forever grateful that the moment that I couldn't bear to be in my life anymore. I was filled with life and that stopped me from making that decision that would have caused more ripple effects of harm. And so Zoe kept me here and she's just 
so adorable and they all are and the morning after I almost didn't come home my eldest son was 12 at the time and he said to me mum mum no one could find you like where were you what's going on and I thought oh I don't want to speak about what I've been struggling with it'll ruin him that's what I thought if they know that I've been addicted to poker machines it'll ruin them and I just said to him mate I've made so many mistakes and he just said mum everyone makes mistakes and I just thought oh wow why did I think that I wasn't allowed to make mistakes why did I think I had to be perfect in order to be a good mum and that changed my perspective on connecting to me being human again and being okay with that and allowing for what else don't I know here and sparking that curiosity of what else is at play that I haven't considered if I am human and that led me to the whole world that has unfolded in front of me that I couldn't see because all I saw was my shame and it distorted everything. Being able to speak the truth of living through the hell that I did, giving me that language to speak to others, giving me that empathy to connect with others and help them find pathways out of the hell that they've experienced. I know that's why I struggled to the point that I did because I was meant to transform it. It's like when you drive down the road and you see a pothole, you go really wide so that the person behind knows, oh, there's danger there. Let's just look out for others. You don't notice that something's really wrong and then just sort yourself out and go, see you, good luck everybody else, I'm fine now. I couldn't be okay with that knowing that I wasn't the only one struggling with it, realising we're a country full of people struggling with it because we don't have the proper laws and regulations in place to protect us. So we're not only preyed upon by Australian gambling companies, we're preyed upon internationally. We're known as easy pickings. So it's open season. One woman from rural Victoria, her son got in contact with me. His mum had been sent an iPad in the mail from an Israeli gambling company that had preloaded gambling products on it. So she must have been playing so much on her phone and then they just sent her an iPad in the mail with gambling products on it. She lost 600000 in her own home. Wow. It's just crazy. That's crazy. Well, Kate, we're running out of time. You're now on the path to create that change. You mentioned you spoke at a university recently and after the talk, we said about 50 people said you've now got 50 advocates on your side. And that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to build this community of advocating against this gambling industry. So I know you're doing amazing stuff. Kate, what do you want to say to people right now from your heart, people that are listening to this that are either dealing with some kind of addiction, they're feeling a bit of shame, or they know someone that is, don't know how to approach them or talk to them. What do you say to these people? 
I say that I am so sorry that gambling harm or something else has impacted your well-being. I ask them to have a think about what else is going on in their world. Are you trying to live a version of yourself? Are you trying to go backwards? Are you saying things to yourself like, when I get this money back or when I win this, are you okay with who you are? There's so many things at play, but listening to individuals give me their first story about when they first experienced gambling. It's like, oh, I was at my cousin's wedding and then everyone went to the pokey area or I was at a work function or I met mates out. So I say to them, so you didn't leave the house that day intending to gamble? And they're like, "Um, no. And I say, that's exactly right. So there was no intent from your perspective about what has happened, but the intent has always been there from the gambling, you know, they make it as appealing. And back in the day, you had to go out of your home and go to a venue. Now it gets popped up on games that you're doing or a news feed or it's coming at you without you even trying to pursue it. So it's really, really important to understand the world that we're living in and to be informed and empowered to navigate it. Yep. And that's my key message. I'm not under no illusions that I single-handedly am going to take down a gambling industry, but if I can empower Australians to make informed consumer choices, then they won't have a market. Exactly, which is awesome. Kate, thank you so much. It's been an incredible conversation. I'm so grateful for your generous sharing and your open, honest vulnerability. If people want to reach out to you, maybe there's people that have got some issues with gambling, personal issues with gambling, want to talk to you. Maybe there's some people going, I want to get on this bus. I want to get on board this advocacy train and do something about helping Australians and bringing down this industry. How do they reach you? Can reach me at Kate at the hope Send me an email or just have a look on social media. And please, if there's a group that you think needs to hear this message, maybe it's your local sporting group or classroom or uni, please reach out to me and I'm happy to share this really, really important message. Awesome. So your website is thehopeprojectnow.com. Go to that and reach out to Kate. Kate, thank you so much. It's been a wonderful conversation and keep up the amazing work you're doing. Thanks, Andrew. I don't know about you, but I am totally inspired and wanting to do something to help Kate. And I, well, I am, but I want to do more now because she's on such a mission and it's such a big job she's got ahead of her and she can do with all the help that she could possibly get. So please help her, help her change the industry, change the laws around gambling and reduce the harm that so many people are suffering. Let's not be number one in the world for gambling addiction. I don't think that's 
a place we want to occupy. So let's work together. If you're struggling with addiction, please reach out to Kate. If you want to advocate with Kate, please reach out to Kate. This is a big deal. It's a big issue. We need to get together and work together to find a solution to do something about this. You can go to her website, thehopeprojectnow.com. Look at her stuff. Look at her TED Talk. Get in contact with her and let's do something about this and minimizing this gambling harm that is devastating so many lives. Thanks for being a part of this week's show. Please share this. This is a critical conversation that I think every single Australian needs to hear and every person around the world needs to hear because it's not just Australia. This is a problem all around the world. Please join me next week. I'll definitely be back because my mission is to make lives better and help people live their very best life. My name's Andrew Jobling. This is the Wellness Puzzle Podcast. 